Hey there folks, Alex Lokes here and welcome back to the Classic Camera Revival. We are here on part two of our isolation sessions. Um, I'm going to be hosting today's episode and I have a decent one for you. First up, we're going to interview Mark Rossi, who has recently started up his own leather making firm, um, Do North Leather, which produces amazing leather camera straps, um, over the neck straps, wrist straps, everything you need. Um, even up to medium format stuff that interfaces with um, Peak Design. So, and then I'm going to talk about um, a pair of cameras, recent additions for me, but not strangers to the show, that I've actually put my Do North leather straps on, the Nikon FM and the Nikon FE. So, let's get going. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. Hey guys, Alex Lokes here, Classic Camera Revival, and I am here with Mark Rossi, whom if you have attended a Toronto Film Shooters meetup, you will know him. And he recently kicked off his own home um, camera strap making business called Do North Leather. And again, I have just recently received a pair of his um, camera straps and the quality is absolutely amazing. So I decided to uh, bring him onto, uh, onto our show. So Mark, introduce yes. yourself. Yeah, hi, everyone. Yeah, hi, Alex. And thank you so much for having me on uh, this episode of CCR. Um, so yeah, I mean, as you said, it's a fairly recent endeavor. Um, it's, uh, been now about three months actually. Um, but I've been, I've been crafting leather actually for about eight years and I've always been, uh, I guess you could say an artistic person. Uh, so I, I'm very creative. I, I like to, I like to use my hands and, you know, as you know, photography is one of my uh, outlets for my creativity. I mean, I, I come quite a bit to the uh, meetouts, uh, meetups and, uh, you know, I, I love film, uh, but I also shoot digital as well. So I'm really into photography and I, I had some other hobbies and, and I thought, you know what, is there a way that I could blend, um, you know, the leather making aspect uh, and the photography? And I thought, you know what, I could do leather straps because... I've got some ideas and some uh, some designs that no one else is really making at this time. And in fact, they just launched another three products on the website. And uh, they include the Red Tab, the Baron, Neck, and Wrist Strap. And I have a few more things coming. Uh, they're on the bench. So lots of, uh, lots of exciting products coming for Due North. And um, so what, what are your inspiration for these, um, for these straps? Well, I mean, it varies. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll I'll get an idea and I'll just I'll write it down. But I mean, I can give you an example. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, a lot of the straps, especially with the three new ones that I've just released, again they're the red tab, the bear and neck, and wrist strap. Um, those ones in particular, believe it or not, the Nikon F3 HP was uh, an inspiration to me. Uh, as we all know, the story behind the F3 with the uh, Italian designer who uh, did, you know, car designs like Ferrari and a lot of the the main design cue for the F3 and actually subsequent Nikons thereafter was the red hue, 
that they use in the cameras. So I thought, hey, you know what? Um, why don't I make some products with that kind of design approach? And so as a result, I mean, if anyone were to go on the website right now, they'll see that there's uh, quite a bit of that inspiration integrated in the products and certainly with the, uh, the three new ones that I just launched. Um, I just think red and black looks really, really nice. Um, it's a beautiful color combination on a camera. Um, and I'm quite proud, actually. I'm quite proud of those products. But, I mean, we do have the other products. Um, for example, the, uh, the, you know, the classic series, the, the line that you actually purchased a couple of products. Uh, those are, those were more, that inspiration came from more just a, a rugged kind of Canadian living, I guess you could say. I kind of thought of, you know, when I think of Canada North and I kind of was thinking of Due North and I was like, hmm, you know, that would, I want to make a product that's beautiful, but I want to make a product that's also durable and looks rugged. So, you know, you mm -hmm. see the sides of my straps uh, in certain series are all left distressed to add to that, uh, you know, to that rustic feel, if you will, that durability. And then the Artisan series, uh, wrist straps, is actually one step further. It goes one step further where uh, that product there is completely hand-dyed. So there is no dye from the tannery. Uh, it's completely natural. And all the dyeing and the coloring and, and the finishing is all done by hand. Wow. I, I actually went with the uh, black because... As an 1812 reenactor, I mainly uh, reenact in a rifle unit, so right. all my belting is black. So right. made it made it honestly made it a no brainer. Um, <laughs> so you've mentioned that you've been uh, working um, eight years with um, leather. Yep. Who did you learn from? <laughs> uh, me, myself, and I. I uh, I have this uh, uncanny ability to. Basically, if there's something that I'm really interested in, I basically plant my nose in a book and I just read and I read and I read and I'll go online. Um, certainly nowadays, obviously, we go more online, but, uh, you know, I'll just do as much research as I possibly can and I will learn the subject and I will then practice the subject. So, I mean, as I said, I, I have various hobbies, you know, I turn pens. Uh, photography i do leather working um you know i have and i mean it, trust me <laughs> it's a long list so i really like working with my hands um and it just it, it just comes i guess it just comes natural for me i mean i know that's kind of a you know um i guess the direct thing to say for lack of a better word but it just comes natural to me i just really apply myself i learn and of course you get better with practice right so with almost a decade of practice um you know <laughs> you you'd like to hope you're seeing some results <laughs> well it's the same way with uh anything film photography wise these days a lot of us in the toronto film shooters group have completely been self-taught or taught through just experience and um learning online that's right and also you know learning through others as well but you know i should include that as well um because you do learn quite a bit from people that share the same interests um certainly as an example with the uh tfs group um i've learned a lot from uh fellow members and uh and photographies in the industry as well when i go to shows and 
and uh, meetups. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's good. It's good to have those discussions because sometimes you know someone else can show you a different perspective that you never really thought of. Yeah. So, is there like the Toronto Film Shooters Meetup Group? Um, is there sort of a local collective of uh, leather workers? Because I mean, again, I, I, my other hobby is uh, 1812 reenacting and plenty of reenactors rely on leather for belting and um, other products. So is there something similar within your other hobby, leather work? Um, so, so just so I understand, you're asking if there's anything, uh, is, is there any other, or sorry, is there any resources for the leather? It's just a community resource, a community group. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Sorry. Um, yeah, absolutely. There's, uh, there's definitely groups within the, uh, within the GTA um, that one can go to. I mean, Mississauga Leather, it, they're, they're called usually leather guilds, um, but there are a few of them. The one that I participate every now and then is the Mississauga group. Um, but, I mean, you can also find online resources and a lot of it is going online to be honest with you uh, you can find guild organizations online and they don't even have to be local that's the beautiful thing you could be in a forum that's you know uh, in germany uh, it's really fascinating and you you learn you learn a lot like that as well um and not to and also don't forget there's also um you know suppliers that are in our area we are fortunate to have you know, a good number of suppliers for the leather, the leather crafting uh, industry, and uh, you learn from them as well. So there, there are resources, um, and I think with time, you you get to know more of them, and uh, and that really helps, obviously, right? Because in the beginning, as with anything, it's uh, it's very hard. To, you know, you're you're learning. You're like a sponge. You're trying to absorb as much as you possibly can. And uh, let's be honest, your skills in the beginning probably won't be up to snuff. And uh, it, it takes time. It takes time. Yep. Oh, absolutely. So walk us through your basic process for um, creating one of your straps. Uh, well, it depends, I guess, on what strap we're talking about. But Just I mean, your basic, like the one that I purchased. Yeah, so one like yours, which is the classic line, and it's called classic for a reason, uh, because it is the most um, the most cost effective, but yet beautifully made product that I you know that I offer. Uh, it's a full grain leather. It's not a genuine or bonded leather. Uh, you you know you see that a lot when you go into department stores and you know retail stores, and you're looking at a leather item and it says bonded or or in a lot of cases, it'll say genuine. Well, I got news for you. 90% of the time, it's not actual genuine leather. Um, this is full grain leather. What we like to refer to in the leather world is full grain. We don't like to use the word genuine. We like to use the word full grain. And full grain is what you could, I guess you could say it's like the premium of the premium. And that's what I use. I, I use full grain leather and I hand cut it. I I will measure it, obviously, if it's an X-strap, I measure it to size, I'll cut it to size, and it'll go through some conditioning. Uh, it'll go through, and every product is different, but there will be a conditioning finishing process to it. 
Um, there is some hardware work, so you know the rivets or stitching, depending on the uh, on the item. But for the classic, it would be the rivets, and uh, and then the loops, which are saddle stitched. So um, I'm actually, from what I know, I'm the only one that does the loops like the way I do. I don't, I don't really, I haven't to this day found any other uh, leather crafters of camera straps make the leather loops like I do. So my loops are basically U-formed and they're saddle stitched. So anybody that knows what saddle stitching is, it's basically, hence the word, it's what the saddle, saddle makers, um, that's, what they, that's what they do. They saddle stitch the saddles. And uh, it's a very durable stitch, um, very durable, and that's why I use it. So um, that's, you know, that's pretty much the gist of it. Uh, I know it sounds easy <laughs> when I just describe it like that in 30 seconds, but there are little nuances to the craft um, that you, if you didn't do it before, you would run into when you're making the product. Absolutely. Well, everything sounds easy when you, when you as someone who has a lot of experience describes it. Yeah. So, yeah, makes makes perfect sense to me. I myself have seen plenty of online leatherworking videos. Again, I've seen your product, and it's and again, um, I have an aunt who produces her own fabric and makes her own shirts and other fashion items and it's yeah she, people who know their craft make it look easy yeah yeah and and you know you mentioned your aunt uh, and fashion and it's interesting because i'm glad you brought that word up to me leather crafting um is exactly that it's not only a craft but it's fashion mm. and you know as i mentioned in the beginning Design is everything for me, you know, for example, the the inspiration that came from the Nikon F3, which I have one, by the way, is probably one of my favorite cameras. Um, fantastic cameras. Yeah, I love it. And, uh, and so it, it is really part, you know, it's part construction, but also part fashion and beauty um, and design, really. That's what the word, that's the best word to use. And whenever I sit down at my bench, to design a product, uh, and like I said, I've got I've got quite a few products that are on the bench right now that you know we haven't even heard of. Uh, well, no one's really heard of yet. Just you know, they're in prototype stage, if you will, and and that's what it is. It's all about design and and creativity and coming up with new product. Um, I just invested in an industrial sewing machine, so that is currently unpacked. It's not unpacked yet. <laughs> if I can, if I could. Uh, if I can say that quite honestly, it's still kind of in the box, so to speak, but nice. that's, that's going to be used for making some pretty fancy straps um, within the next few months, hopefully, if all goes well. Um, so it's constantly pushing yourself, constantly thinking of a design of, uh, of ergonomics, of something that a photographer uh, would really be proud of putting around their wrist or their neck. And and that's really if I could if I could really describe sort of like the the evolution of this journey that I've gone on. That's kind of where I'm at right now. I've realized that it's not just about having a strap, okay? Because really anybody can 
make a strap if they really applied themselves. But I think what separates uh, people in our craft is the creativity. And if you can come up with creative products and products that people will be proud to put on their, you know, their beautiful F3 or their Leica, you know, or whatever it is you have, then you've achieved something. I believe, you know, that's what I'm after. That's kind of my mentality now when I approach, uh, you know, designing a product. Mm. So a couple of questions come out of that. Um, First of all, um, so I've put my, um, my straps on um, a Nikon FM and a Nikon FE compact um, 35 millimeter SLRs. They work great. Um, what sort of cameras do you recommend that people put your um, your straps on? I mean, again, you have your Nikon F3. You take a look at your um, product photos. You have um, an Olympus Micro Four Thirds camera. What really should people be um, be putting these camera straps on? Yeah, it's actually a yeah. That's actually a fantastic question, and uh, I'm glad you I'm glad you asked it because. If, now I, I don't know if you've seen the website lately, Alex, but uh, the new products that I have, in particular, the Barons, the two Baron products that I just launched, the neck strap and the wrist strap. If you notice, those are wider straps, and so, and if you also notice, um, I've, I'm using a Nikon. It's a digital camera, but the reason why I used it because it is more heavy. Uh, so I got them on a, uh, I showcased them with a Nikon D750. Uh, and the reason why I did that was because I want to show people that these camera straps, in particular the Baron series, they can be used with your heavier cameras. And uh, the Baron straps actually utilize peak anchor design. Uh, sorry, peak design anchors. Oh, I believe wonderful! They're, yeah, they're they're it's a completely new product for me. Um, so I'm teaming up with Peak Design, whereby I use their anchors now. And I'm really, really excited about this new line. I've literally just put them on the website last night. Um, and so something like that you can use for, you know, um, a moderately sized camera, let's say, uh, you know, like uh, an OM, uh, you know, a Nikon FM, FE, something like that. Uh, but y- you would have no problem uh, putting also a thinner strap, like let's say, the classic, like something that you have, um, you can you can attach that to a Nikon FM2 or a Nikon FE, no problem. Uh, the leather, I'll, I'll tell you right now, <clears throat> it's very durable mm. yeah, and it's very strong. The tensile strength on leather is ridiculous. It, you know, I I would never recommend people put on, you know, let's say a huge, you know, 70 to 200, 2.8, uh lens with you know couple that to obviously an slr a dslr yeah. I, I would i wouldn't recommend that because not not necessarily because the straps will give in they'll fail but because it'll kill your neck i mean the straps yep. are you know the classic <laughs> is only the classic is only a half inch uh thick i mean so i mean common sense right you're not going to go purchasing a strap that is a half inch for something like that right or or a wrist strap for that matter uh, so I think a little bit of common sense also has to come into play. Um, but typically the, you know, the textbook response is any of the classic series or, uh, sorry, any of the half inch 
uh, six to seven, seven to eight ounce straps will be perfect for um, mirrorless cameras, uh, regular size film cameras, uh, cameras that fall into that sort of weight category, if you will. Um, but that's not to say, although I'm not recommending, but that's also not to say that they're inferior, uh, you know, or sorry, not the proper product to use when you want to use a more heavier camera, uh, because they will hold. I mean, you know, the split rings that I use are all, they're all, um, they're all, uh, what's it called now? Uh, sorry, uh, spring, um, oh, there, there's a word that's coming into my mind now, but they're basically, they're, they're coiled. They're, they're not, they're memory retention springs, basically. And, and what that means is they don't lose their, their, uh, their memory. They won't give, they won't bend. They're very strong. So they stay together. And especially with the peak design uh, anchors, well, you know, those aren't going to go anywhere. Um, yeah. They're, you know, they're fantastic products. No, absolutely. So just one final question. Again, you hinted at there's um, a bunch of things coming down the pipe. You just released your um, Baron and your uh, Red Tab line. What's yeah. next? <laughs> uh, so I've I got a, well, the next one that's going to be coming, I'm, I'm not going to mention any, I'm not going to mention the name, but it is done and it will be coming uh, next week, maybe even over the weekend. But uh, that one there will be uh, a single piece strap, if I could, uh, if I can mention it like that. It, it's kind of be, it's kind of kind of be like, instead of using a loop, it's going to kind of loop itself, if that makes any sense. And that's the next one that's going to be coming. That's going to be very similar in design to the, um, the trims line that I have. Uh, with a few exceptions, but down what I'm really excited about is when I get this sewing machine, this industrial sewing machine that I've invested in, um, we're going to be seeing more subtle leathers being used, like really, really upholstery soft kind of leather, but nice. really with a lot of stitching. So there's going to be a lot of stitch work. Um, it's going to be more, there's going to be more intricacies in the design and, and, and because of these design ideas, that's why I really needed to invest in this, uh, walking foot sewing machine. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, once I get that machine up and running, um, that's what's going to, and once that, you know, once I get all these prototypes on my bench, oh, you know, out of the way, that's going to be the, uh, that's going to be the real the next sort of step in the business. Nice. And finally, if someone is interested in purchasing one of your excellent quality camera straps, where can they find it? Absolutely. Um, so we're obviously online and you can find us on the website at doonorthleather.com. You can also visit us on our Instagram page, uh, which is basically uh, do North Leather, and we also have a Facebook page. So everything's integrated. You can shop on all three platforms, and you can even send me a message if you like. Uh, and you know, you can place an order that way. Uh, you know, being a small business, I'm very flexible with my customers. I also do a lot of um, custom work, actually. So although that's not really mentioned yet on the website, I I do custom work. And something that I think you'll like to hear is there are going to be uh, straps coming for 
medium format cameras. So all you Hasselblad guys, you know, your, your TLR guys, straps are going to be coming for those very soon. Okay. Fantastic, Mark. Thank you again for uh, taking some time out of your day and away from the bench to uh, join us here on uh, this episode. Yeah, thank you very much, Alex, for having me. Um, it's been great. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. Hey, folks, welcome back to the studio. Um, as I mentioned in my interview with Mark, the two cameras that I actually ended up putting my do north leather straps on is a nikon fm and a nikon fe now if you're a longtime fan of the uh, of the show you'll know that both these cameras actually have a solid following within the ccr community um, both in their original form the fm and the fe but also in the more modern ones the fe2 the fm2 including the n variant um, along with the FM3A, which is sort of the peak of the whole series. But let's break it down. Um, Nikon had had an on and off relationship with the consumer market. They had a failed camera, the Nikorex line, which ended up going through three different variations before they ended up dropping the whole thing and selling the plans off to Ricoh. And... And from there, they actually ended up building on the success of the Nikon F that came out in 1959, taking the same skill, design, level of industrial control, and produced the Nikorex, um, sorry, Nikormat. The Nikormat FT, followed by the Nikormat FTN, which both were hugely successful, the FTN more so because it actually bridged the gap between the original Nikon F and the even better Nikon F2. These cameras often found themselves into the hands of not only consumers, but advanced amateurs and professional photographers as well as their sole body instead of buying the Nikon F itself, which often cost a little bit more money and sometimes when you're just starting out you don't you don't have that much money available to you the ftn is an amazing camera i've had a chance to shoot a couple of rolls through it bill smith he swears by the knicker mat line they are incredible cameras the one downside to the ftn is that it does take mercury cell batteries of course nikon did not want to lose it so they ended up producing the FT2, which a lot, which is basically an FTN, but it takes modern battery cells, so no longer you were reliant on the Mercuries. And then in 1977, they produced a third model of this, and this is kind of a rare bird within the Nikormat line, the FT3, because in 1977, Nikon introduced what was called AI lenses or aperture indexing or auto indexing lenses, which meant that you no longer needed to use a claw interface to link the lens to the camera body to allow for metering control through match needling or anything like on earlier cameras, which is essentially since the original Nikon F the lens mount hadn't really changed. Now, there is still somewhat of a connection. There's a little milled-out gap in the aperture line that sort of hits a cam on the lens mount, yada, yada, yada. It works. It was brilliant, and the FT3 was the first one for it. 
Of course, we all know what happened a few years, about half a decade earlier in 1972, Olympus released the OM system. And the OM system changed the face. It was it was the original game changer in the SLR market, which before the OM had been big, they'd been clunky, heavy metal, you could use them to beat a pickpocket or a home intruder to death with a Nikon F, a Nikon F2, or even a Nicker mat. They were big, they were heavy. The o- Olympus introduced the idea that you could still have a system camera, but in a smaller form factor. Um, we saw that with the OM-1, and it left every single camera manufacturer out there scrambling with, how do we compete with this? People want the smaller format, but still want the same quality. So in 1977, Nikon got thinking and they basically took their two primary Nicker mats at the time, both of them just recently released, the first one being the Nicker mat EL2, which is an electronic Nicker mat and had semi-automatic aperture priority metering and then the Nicker mat FT3. Between the two of them, they actually designed a much smaller chassis. And in 1977, they released the Nikon FM. Now, the Nikon FM is not smaller than the OM-1. It's actually a bit bigger, weighs a bit more. But again, you have to remember that Nikon had a certain level of industrial design and control. And they wanted to be able to offer photographers that satisfaction of having that slightly heavier, slightly beefier camera in their hand something that they could they could throw in a purse they could um sorry camera bag um bring to a war zone and just really get it dirty keep it working no matter what you threw at it it was kind of like an ak-47 of cameras it just worked the knicker mat so they wanted to bring that same feature into the fm now Other than having the smaller form factor, the FM offered the same aperture index supported lenses, which means it'll support AI, AIS, and modern autofocus D-type lenses because you still had that aperture ring that you could still, that still had that interface on it. And they work. I I personally don't like putting autofocus lenses. I find the focusing... um, ring a little too loose but anyways the fm um other than that they basically took the ft3 compressed it down into the fm body but not only that they replaced the the photodiodes that controlled the metering uh instead of a cds cell which the nickermat ft3 had they used gallium photodiode cells to provide Um, a standard Nikon center-weighted metering that is 60% dead center and then 40% through it. The 60-40 metering thing is something that you'll see a lot within Nikon cameras, up to and including the FM3A. Of course, they wanted to do something a little bit different. Instead of going with a traditional mash needle metering system, they ended up using um, a set of three um, diodes. Um, that illuminated red and were next to a plus, a zero, and a minus. So again, you sort of adjusted your aperture and your shutter speed 
into so that you got the only the center diode turned on. Of course, the trouble is, is that if you're in a darker situation, you can't actually see the symbols. So you just sort of have to memorize which diode is associated with with which symbol, especially the plus and minus. They ended up fixing that on the FM2N by actually having the symbols illuminate, which made life a little bit easier. Again, they took the same shutters that they were using in the Nickermat EL2, which is, of course, the famous Copal Square shutter, which appears in a whole tons of camera, including the electronic version, the EL, the FM, sorry, the FE that appeared in 1978, which is essentially, again, a Nickermat EL2, but using the new small chassis format. Same meter sells the uh, gallium photodiodes, and used a much more traditional needle on the shutter speed to indicate not only when you're running it in manual mode, it will sit on the, um, the appropriate shutter speed, and then you basically adjust it until the other needle sort of hits that. Or when you're running it in semi-automatic, that is aperture priority mode, the needle will indicate what shutter speed the camera has picked for the scene. In both cases, these cameras not only, like I said earlier, can use the AI and a little more modern AIS and then AFD type lenses from Nikon, you could actually flip up a little hinge to allow um, pre-AI or non-AI lenses to mount. The only downside is because they lacked an interface for the coupling claw, you can't actually keep the aperture open while metering so you are reduced to stop down metering only but the meters still do work and Nikon was really good for that they allowed for continuation well into later model cameras that allowed the pre-AI lenses to still mount and somewhat work with their cameras what more can I say if you want to get into the small ch chassis Nikons and you don't want to spend a lot of money the FM and the FE cameras are the way to go. The problem is, is that most people out there are looking for those little more newer, the 1980s models, that is the FE2, the FM2, and the FM2N. These, those cameras will cost you upwards of three, $400, depending on the condition, the rarity, etc., etc. You can pick up an FE or an FM which again are are older cameras, but they work and they work well. You can pick them up for under $200 easily. And if you have a selection of lenses, you don't even have to go for one that has a lens that is included. Because again, you have those lenses already. They will just work on the camera and they will work well. I, I unfortunately made the stupid mistake of giving away my FN, FM2N many years ago. I wish I hadn't. I thought I'd be satisfied with just running with a Nikon F5 and a Nikon F2. But after picking up a FE on the cheap and then getting an Olympus OM2N and an Olympus OM1, I kind of wanted that mechanical Nikon again. So I ended up finding a relatively inexpensive um, Nikon FM camera as well that I could add to my collection. And there is a certain satisfaction with using both. Now, the Nikon FM is great because, again, it doesn't rely on a battery to drive anything. 
you can you can simply run it without a battery and the shutter will work in its entirety from its one second to one one thousandth of a second time without any any difficulty which means it's a great winter beater camera now cosmetically from the front the two cameras almost appear appear identical um again you really have to turn them around because again the fe will be marked fe at the back the fm will be marked fm at the back um an easy way to tell from the front is to take a look at the collar around the shutter release on the fe it will be black on the fm it will be chrome now earlier fms actually used that collar as a switch to allow you to switch to use either the older md11 motor drive or the newer md12 drive mine doesn't have that they updated it it was a very minor update later on in the um in the series before it was released re replaced by the fm2 so i can actually use both and i actually do have an md12 drive but frankly i prefer to use these cameras without the motor drive i have it just in case I need that little extra push or if I'm using a longer lens I'll I'll pick it up from there they're both just a joy to use the FE to the FE is great if I want a little bit of automation if I want that if I just want to pick an aperture and go with it if I'm on a photo walk if I want to do a little more thinking the FM is perfect and again the FM is a winter beater camera it will just work that copal square shutter is an incredible piece of technology and worthy of a podcast itself of of all the cameras that use this particular model of copal shutter that popped up in the 1970s yeah honestly if you are looking at any such camera that would be one for um for worthwhile um, the Nikon FM, Nikon FE, I highly recommend both cameras. And again, they just work. And the best part is a lot of them can be, still be serviced today. Even the FE, even though it's 1970s electronic technology, a bit dodgy, whatever. It, I've, I've never had mine adjusted. I had to do some minor work on it, but mostly cosmetic it works the metering is perfectly fine the fm even if you don't have a working meter on it if the meter is dead don't worry about it the camera will still work you can use sunny 16 or you can pick yourself up a ravini labs meter it doesn't add too much to the weight and those meters are great too but again we'll we'll do a whole discussion on those meters later on in the season ah nice short episode um, I've been rambling for a good 15 minutes on these two cameras. They're small, they're lightweight, they can fit in a camera bag, no problem. They can go in your carry-on if you plan on flying anytime soon. I don't recommend it. Um, but as a travel camera, it's great. You pick yourself up a three-lens kit, um, a 28 or 35 millimeter lens, a 50 lens, and a short telephoto like the iconic 105 2.5 and you're golden you can get out and do almost anything else so i'm going to cut it off here before i go even further on the matter and just start running around in circles my name's alex lokes i hope you are 
out there staying safe, staying healthy. And when you get a chance, get out and take some pictures. Um, we'll be back next month with the next two of our isolation sessions. We, I would like to thank the whole gang here from really stepping up and showing the world that we here at Classic Camera Revival are taking things seriously and are getting out when we can creating and we wish the same to you. As always, if you are having problems, don't hesitate to reach out to us. We're here to talk. We're here to inspire. If you want ideas on how to get out safely, what cameras to use, by all means, you can reach out to us by email, through Facebook, Instagram, even Twitter, whatever works great for you, or put a comment on the blog. That's it for me. I again like to thank Mark for joining me on this episode and for you for listening. No, no quippy remarks today. Have a good one, guys.